Well, we're continuing this morning in our series looking at reconnecting with God, reconnecting with each other. And as I was sort of prepping this series, I thought, well, we can't really do this season justice without at least at some point asking difficult questions about what happens in church life or in our life generally when things go wrong. What happens when we have the need to forgive one another, to seek reconciliation and to move forward? I don't know if you've come across this quote by C.S. Lewis. This is from Mere Christianity. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. How true is that? It's easy to say, count me in for forgiveness, and then we suddenly find someone has done something to us, they've hurt us, and it becomes a whole lot more difficult. Not everything in life goes right all the time, does it? I think that is a universal truth. Um, Not in our personal lives, not in our church life. All of us, without exception, do things that are wrong. We hurt other people. We say from the -the off-the-cuff comment to something that hurts somebody else deeply. All of us, without exception, have also been on the receiving end of hurtful things happening to us. Where somebody has sinned against us, where somebody has done something to us that has hurt and has stung. Now the church family, in a sense, is no different to any other diverse group of people. There will be times in our church life when everything seems to be going swimmingly well and we're rejoicing and we're celebrating together, and relationships on the whole are good. There'll be other times in the life of every church where we rub up against each other, and there's tension and things start to go wrong. But you know, as Christians, we are called to be people of a different outcome, aren't we? We're called to be people who live with a changed reality. And the basic premise of Scripture when it comes to forgiveness is that we are forgiven in order that we can forgive. So we become a conduit, if you like, for the forgiveness of Christ working through us. Now, there is no shortage of Bible passages on forgiveness. And most of the preaching we do in church here, we work through books of the Bible sort of systematically. So we regularly come across Bible passages on teaching, um, on teaching about forgiveness. But this morning, I want to do things a little bit differently. I want to preach on one verse Now, I don't often do this. Wesley used to do this quite a lot. If you read Wesley's sermons, he would take a verse and then talk for hours on it. Um, Don't worry, I'm not going to talk for hours either. Um, But just one verse this morning. But um, I'm a Baptist minister, and I like big chunks of Scripture. So I don't get indigestion by just preaching on one verse. I'm also going to read another passage of Scripture. That's really for my benefit, but I hope it blesses you as well. But here is the verse of um, scripture that we're going to be looking at. Just to confuse things further, I'm going to preach it in reverse as well. So I hope you're with me already. So you'll see what I mean when we get there. One verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. Shall we read that together? Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Okay, and then I'm just going to read a slightly longer passage from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God, making his, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God.
Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have received from you. And I want to pray this morning that as we receive, so we freely give. Help us to hear your word on forgiveness and help us not just to hear, but to enact what your scriptures say. So move amongst us, Holy Spirit. Soften us where we need softening, we pray. Soften our hearts, open our hearts to you. For the sake of Jesus. Amen. So I'm hoping this makes sense. Say so we're going in reverse. Last bit first. Just as, Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So we're going to start off with looking at how we are forgiven by Jesus, then how we forgive one another, and then how we're to be compassionate and kind. Does that make some kind of sense? So we'll work the actual message that way around. God's forgiveness is the model for our forgiveness. It is complete and total. When Christ died on the cross at Calvary, he he hangs there out of agape love. Agape love. There are four Greek words for love. The word agape means unconditional, undeserved, intentional love given to a person. And Jesus takes our sin on himself and he dies so that we can go free. That is the good news of the gospel. Now, this week, it's been half term, and I, I just took one day off in the middle of the week, um, sort of to give myself a mini break over half term, a very mini break. Um, and what I decided to do on this day off was to do some work in our garden. And um, it involved painting a bench and a little greenhouse with the same colour stain as the shed. Now, if you've got a good memory, we have to have a really good memory and been listening very attentively You might remember 20 months ago I talked about how me and Claire managed to build this shed together. This is proof. This is this shed. First thing this morning, it's still standing. (laughs) That is an achievement when you see the rest of my DIY projects. Now, there is a problem with this shed. And the problem is nothing to do with the design or the structure of the shed. But I said to Claire, I will get the painting of the things done, providing... I can find the stuff out of the shed to paint them with. Now, there's a problem. When I open the shed doors, I I can just about step inside. Well, I can't even step inside. I have to lean in and hope that I can find what I'm getting for. And I actually risk falling headfirst into the shed, never being seen again. Because the shed is now just full of stuff. Does anyone have a garden shed like that? That is just full of stuff? And you think, how has this stuff accumulated? That shed has been there for 20 months, and it's already full. Now, it needs sorting out, and I will get to that. It's a bit like the lectern, but on a bigger scale. But as a, as a human being, we, we are a bit like my shed. We accumulate stuff as we go through life. We accumulate problems. We accumulate sin. We accumulate things that have gone wrong, that, that hurt us, things that are problems and hurt and guilt and regret. We accumulate things that actually we have done that we shouldn't have done. Things that we haven't done, but deep down we know that we should have done. And they start to linger around, and they start to taint who we are as human beings. And then there's all the stuff gets thrown into the shed as well, of the things that other people have done to us. You know, those things that have hurt us deeply, those problems that have happened around about us, those lasting scars that can be in our hearts, and sometimes even in our bodies. If we just think about our life like the shed for a moment, It's as if every time something bad happens, the doors are flung open and something is chucked in until not only the shed is full, but the whole garden is full and our whole of life 
becomes a mess. I sometimes wonder if children are simply happier than adults because they haven't got as much clutter in the shed as we have. And you look at a child's face, and they just smile freely. C.S. Lewis again. If you want a good book to read, read his Space Odyssey. Great book. Um, sci-fi with theology thrown in. Um, but he talks in that book about how, um, as human beings, no matter how rested our resting face is, we're always fraught. There is always something of the damage of the side of the shed that we carry around with us. Not so with a child. They're free. They're still free. But we get caught up with all this stuff. Now, for many human beings, they live permanently in that place. There is no freedom. There is nothing we can do to free ourselves of that mess. Now, if that was just for this life, then fair enough. We could just put on some soothing music, try and relax, try and sort of, um, I don't know, de-stress ourselves out of all the problems that we cause ourselves. But one of the glorious underpinnings of scripture, the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the sacrifices of the temple, the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, is that God longs to forgive us of all that rubbish that is in the shed and walk us out into freedom. He longs to clear everything out and allow us to walk in glorious new life. Because, you see, the problems in the shed, they don't only just cause problems for me, for my relationships, and for relationships with other people but they totally sever the relationship between me and God. That's what sin does, isn't it? That's what happens when we fall into sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, death isn't something we can control. Death isn't something that we can influence in any way. We will all die. And death takes away our life, doesn't it? That's the the meaning of the word death. That's what it does. It takes away our life. And without the free gift of eternal life, it also takes away our eternal life as well. The gospel, the greatest news that we can hear, is that Jesus takes it all and that we walk into freedom. We are forgiven of whatever that stuff is, no matter how bad, no matter how gory, the stuff that is in our past, we are forgiven. Just read this from 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Christ takes on what we can't, so we are brought back to God. We are enabled to have new birth. We are born again through the spirit. Now, for many of us in this room today, I know we know that. We live with that glorious truth, that glorious hope that is in our hearts today. If you don't know what that hope is, you know, I'd love to chat with you. Or come along tomorrow night. We've got this group meeting in the lounge at half seven to look at the claims of Jesus. Come and be part of that. But you know what Jesus also says? Is the gospel is to be lived out. The gospel is not just let's get into heaven and have all the stuff dealt with, but then forget what goes on round about us. But it's to then enact what has happened on the cross to us, to other people. Back to C.S. Lewis. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You know, too often, I think, as Christians, and particularly, you know, in the evangelical tradition, what we can do is so focused on our salvation, which is right and proper and essential that we do that, that we forget that this stuff has to be lived out in the here and now. We forget that actually the message of Scripture is that we are to live out forgiveness in our everyday lives. So we're working backwards through the verse. Forgive each other, forgiving each other. Jesus 
says this in Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I used to read that as a very bleak verse. You know, what what on earth does that mean? What what does that mean? But I think, actually, over over the years, I've come to understand that as a way of of Jesus sort of saying, you know, if, if in your heart you can't forgive other people, you're just not in a place to receive forgiveness either. It's to do with the hardness in our heart. And that's what happens. We we can actually make ourselves so hard that we can't receive forgiveness or give forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? We've already talked about this word quite a lot. What is it? Well, it's letting go of our desire for ill will or for judgment or for, or for, for vengeance over another person. And it's releasing somebody so that we now want the best, God's best, for that person. One person named it as this. It's an intentional decision to let go of hurt and anger. An intentional decision. This is what God does for us. So let's reflect on this for a moment. Forgiveness is not belittling sin or brushing it under the carpet. You know, some things in life are easy to forgive, aren't they? If you've ever shared a home with somebody, you will know that sharing a home comes with its list of trials and tribulations. It might be that you arrive to the toothpaste and find that it's been squeezed wrong. It might be that there is a load of washing being dumped all over the floor. It might be that somebody keeps persistently leaving the milk out and it goes off. Whatever it is, they are the slight annoyances of life. But if somebody says sorry, we often are able to move on quite quickly. Quite quickly from those kind of things. But some things in life are very, very difficult to forgive. Sometimes, you know, we have been hurt to the core. We've been damaged by another person. Or we have hurt ourselves. And forgiveness is about forgiving ourselves as well. We have hurt ourselves and let ourselves down so deeply that it can be challenging to forgive. Now, we have no switch in the human brain, do we, that we can flick that allows us to forget things or to allow us to get back to how things were. It just doesn't exist. You know, I can forget all kinds of things, but I've yet to learn how to do it deliberately. Um, I can forget random stuff, but then other things just keep coming back and back and back, and we can't just um, forget things. The pain and the emotion and the circumstances that sometimes we need to forgive through can be very real. And into this, the words of Jesus speak. Into this, the words of Paul challenge us deeply. You know, the gospel is totally radical, isn't it? It's totally life-changing. It goes against everything that society and culture would tell us. And forgiveness is the process by which we are able to let go. Able to let go. Able to be released of our desire for ill will and revenge. And not only is that a blessing to others, but it's a blessing to ourselves as well. I'm just going to give you one of the most transformative examples of forgiveness that I know of that's happened certainly within my lifetime. You'll have heard about this before, but in 1987, during one of the IRA bombings, there was a man named Gordon Wilson, and he lost his daughter tragically in a bomb. And this man was a strong Christian. I'll just read out a little bit of what he said. He said, Those who have to account for this deed will have to face judgment of God. 
which is way beyond my forgiveness. It would be wrong for me to give any impression that gunmen and bombers should be allowed to walk the streets freely. But whether or not they are judged here on earth by a court of law, I do my very best in human terms to show forgiveness. The last word rests with God. I don't know about you, but I'm blown away by somebody who is able to put their Christian faith into practice at that instance. You know, to have lost your daughter to a bomb and then to be able to come out with those kind of words. Now, what Wilson says there, I I just think is, is absolutely spot on. It's not that the gunmen and the bombers um, are just let off from the sin. They have to face consequences for what they've done. But it's that he will not hold it in his heart. He will not let that ill will towards them eat away at them. And he goes on to say, but I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. Forgiveness in this situation frees the person who has been wronged badly from any desire for revenge but it doesn't let the perpetrators off the hook. And it's really important that we say that when we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not cheap. It is not just sweeping problems away and saying, oh, everything's fine. And sometimes as human beings, we have to deal with the very real human consequences of sin. But what forgiving means is that we let go. We walk into freedom. We are freed and we free the other people and hand them over to God's best for them. Now, sometimes when, when I read the scriptures, I, I've, I'm, you may think this by the end of my um, talk this morning, that I'm actually quite simplistic when it comes to what the Bible says about forgiveness. I, I realize I've never been in a situation like Gordon Wilson has been in. I've never been tested to that point. But I can't see any point in the scriptures where it gives me a get-out clause not to forgive somebody. It's just not there. I can't see any scriptures that say, in this instance, actually, you don't have to forgive. Jesus, in Matthew 18, 22, has asked this very question. How often should I forgive? Seven times with the disciples um, sort of uh, poising to him. And he says, no, 70 times seven. Now, that does not mean you forgive 490 times and then you stop. But it's just this number that is so big that Jesus is just saying forgiveness is just part of what it means to be a Christian. You just keep going and going and going. You keep forgiving. We keep on with that process. To be a a Christian is to be a person of forgiveness. So the question comes to all of us. Are there people in our lives that we need to forgive? Are there people who have hurt us in whatever way, in whatever context, whether it's at church, whether it's at work, whether it's our neighbours, whether it's with our family, whether it's actually ourselves that we need to forgive, who at the moment we are harbouring deep resentment against? Are those people in our hearts at the moment. Well, what do we do about it? What do we do? Well, I've called this starting the process. We're all very different as human beings, aren't we? We're all very different. You know, it may come as a surprise to you, but sometimes Claire and I disagree with each other. Now, sometimes that happens over little things, and it really doesn't matter, but sometimes it does happen over big things. And we've noticed over the almost 23 years that we've been married that we, we sort of process those kind of disagreements quite differently. Now, Claire needs to be left alone and be given space to process. I like to fill that space with an endless commentary of babbling, <laughs> which really doesn't bless Claire. Now, over the years, we have learned that actually, when we get into that cycle, we just spiral down. 
And so we don't always get it right, but we have started to learn that actually I need to give Claire space, but she doesn't take so much space that then I'm getting frustrated that she's not coming back to me. And so we, we then have to work out actually what does that mean. We're all different as human beings. Some of us, when it comes to forgiveness, can forgive very quickly, fully, and move on. It just seems to be in our nature. Gordon Wilson, I think, is an example of somebody in the most horrendous situation was able to offer words of that process of forgiveness moving forward. Some of us, it may take us a long time. We may have to muse on it. We may have to come before the Lord several times. We may have to just examine our own hearts, but we are starting the process. And what I would encourage us to do today is whether we're the kind of person who finds it easy to forgive or finds it very difficult to forgive, if there is something we need to forgive, try and start that process moving forward. Now, you may be at this point, not even at the point where you say, Lord, help me to forgive, but you may be a step back saying, Lord, help me to want to forgive. But you're still heading in the same direction. We're still moving forward. We're still getting to that place where Jesus would long us to be. Can I encourage us, even if we're miles away, with whatever it is we need to forgive, whether it's ourselves or somebody else, to just start that process? So what next? Is there anything I need to do? Sometimes, if we need to to forgive um, someone, it can actually all happen in our own hearts. There have been many times in my life when perhaps somebody has done something that has hurt me, and um, what I found is that coming before the Lord is I've been able to forgive that person in my own heart, and I've not had to do anything more than that. I've not had to go and speak to them. I've not had to bring it out into public. I've just dealt with it between the Lord and myself, and then it's walked into freedom. That isn't always possible. That isn't always possible. And I just want to look at two examples that Jesus gives us of different situations. And one of the examples is when we have done something wrong. So this is from Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Don't you love the way Jesus is so practical? He just gives us the kind of advice that, you know, when we're asking what do we do, this is the kind of thing you do. This is the kind of thing. Now, what the setting is is here is somebody is about to offer a, a, a gift at the altar. It's, it's through the temple worship, and they're, they're entering into worship, and Jesus says, actually, if you're holding something against, if somebody's holding something against you, if you can, go and sort it out first. Sort it out so that you come to worship with a clean heart. Now, in terms of forgiveness, I think what we find from Jesus there is wherever possible, reconciliation in some form or other is our goal. That's the goal. But he says, be proactive, not proud. Seek out the person. Make the move towards them. Now, Jesus is talking about a very specific situation where there are issues within the life of a worshipping community. And we have to be very careful we don't suddenly apply this to each situation without any kind of contextualization. We have to think this through. But where for a church to flourish, reconciliation, being restored, is our aim. Now, there are some things we can say about that as well. Not that one. Where are we? Have I put these in the wrong order? No, I've missed it out. Never mind. I'll just read it out to you. It says in Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
as far as it depends on you. Because sometimes you can't reconcile because a person doesn't want it. Sometimes it's because their behavior is just so erratic and dangerous and they're they're not repentant that it would be dangerous to actually seek that kind of reconciliation. But what Jesus does is he gives us another example. And this example is a really interesting one. And this is where you have been wronged. And it's again, it's in the church context. It's in the life of the worshiping community. But I think there are things here that we can apply to other situations. And it says, when someone sins against you, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them. Tell them what they did wrong. Keep it between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them back. But what if they won't listen to you? Then take one or two others with you. Scripture says every matter must be proved by the words of two or three witnesses. That's there from Deuteronomy. But what if they also refuse to listen to the witnesses? Then tell it to the church. And what if they refuse to listen even to the church? Then don't treat them as a brother or sister, but treat them as you would an ungodly person or a tax collector. (laughs) Any tax collectors in the room? No, I won't ask that question. Now, this again is a specific example taken from a church community um, sort of situation. And so it's very simple. Firstly, if somebody has wronged you, go to that person. And if you can sort it out just between the two of you, that has the least ramifications for the wider body and it's easily dealt with. If that doesn't work, take one or two other people with you as witnesses. If that still doesn't work, bring it to the whole church. Now, that is difficult. That is really difficult. But I think what Jesus is saying by this point is that the person is really arriving at the end of the road. They're not listening to either one person or a group. So give them one last chance to respond. And then fourthly, if they won't engage at that point, treat them as less than a brother or sister in Christ. Now that is true inside the church, but I think in some ways this can be helpful when thinking through some of those situations we may face outside the church. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, this, this particular issue that we faced a number of years ago, but it's worth mentioning again. Many years ago, we had a serious problem with one of our next-door neighbours. And to make matters worse, we shared a drive with them, um, which just made the whole of life very complicated. And um, we have no idea to this day how we really upset this person. We have no idea. But this person, for whatever reason, took great offence at at me, at Claire, and even at our children, who at that point were like two and four or whatever age they were. And there were times when I would come back home to find Claire on the drive with our neighbour swearing at her and just being generally really rude and unpleasant. So I remember thinking, well, we have to put this kind of stuff into practice. So, you know, I went and asked him, what have we done? How can we reconcile? How can we put this right between us and you? Tell us and, and we will do it, you know, providing it's reasonable, we will do it. We will, we will get things sorted out. This particular man had no concept of forgiveness, reconciliation, of trying to put things right. And he just wouldn't entertain the idea. And so we hit basically a brick wall. There was no way forward really for us. Now this man wasn't a Christian, so it wouldn't have made any sense to take him to the church to have that sort of looked at. Um, so we couldn't do that. So basically, we went straight from stage one down to stage four and in sort of Jesus' thinking. And communication, more or less, had broken down. And things weren't solvable. There was nothing within my sort of power that I could do to make things any better. But I was totally convicted and convinced that I still had to forgive him. 
I still had to forgive him. I still have to want God's best for him. I still had to pray for him, even if I was actually deliberately avoiding him to avoid um, Claire being sworn at and the kids being victimized and life being generally unpleasant. And so that's what we had to do. We had to keep praying, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to want the best for this person. Help me to pray for them. Now, Jesus says, interestingly, at the end, treat them as ungodly or a tax collector. Who does Jesus spend most of his time talking to? The ungodly and the tax collector. It goes full circle. But at this point, you've got to the point where actually it's not up to me to do something about it. It's only God at that point can soften a person's heart. And so we're then back to prayer. And we're then saying, Lord, would you soften this person's heart? It doesn't mean cast them off altogether. But I think what is 100% clear is living the Jesus life is living a life of forgiveness. We are called to be ambassadors. We're called to be people of reconciliation where that's possible. But even if that isn't possible, to be people of forgiveness, people who emulate what Jesus has done for us to other people. And so is there anyone in your life today, again, that you need to release into forgiveness? Anyone in my life where I need to actually just let that go and to be a conduit of the forgiveness that Christ has given me. You know, when we forgive, when we forgive, we benefit as well massively from carrying all that hurt and all that bitterness around with us. I'm just going to pause for a moment there. Um, Andrea, is it, is it all right if you just come and share what you mentioned beforehand? I think this would actually be a, just a really powerful example. Yeah, uh, my name's Andrea. Um, I don't know if you remember on the week of prayer um, when it got to the day when it's the forgiving of sins part, um, I sort of shared about needing to forgive my sister and it was something that God had been working on for quite a while. Um, it had been a long-standing um, thing um, with my sister um, and we'd totally not talked for about four years. Um, and... Um, on the Saturday morning prayer breakfast worship, um, I just shared that I was going to forgive my sister and I'd really been asking God to help me with it because I couldn't, couldn't do it in my own strength. I'd tried to decide to, but I couldn't. Um, but in that moment, I just felt a massive release and, um, and it was the Holy Spirit just mm-hmm. did it. And so I sent her a text message later that day and got a bit of a rubbish one back. So I then sent her another text message continuing the rubbish conversation on COVID and having COVID. Um, and then she sent me another message back saying, do you want to meet up? And I was like, oh. So we met up and um, we had a nice time. And it was as if nothing had happened. And um, so I just really encourage you if, um, you know, if you, you know, you're at that place where you want to forgive somebody, but you can't. Um, whether you go and seek somebody out to stand with you um, or the Prime Ministry team or if you want somebody to visit you in your home if you're online at the moment and, um, and that's something you'd like. Um, you know, because I'd love to stand by people if they're struggling to forgive because I know what that's like. Um, but there was a real release in me and um, uh, so I just really encourage you um, if God's speaking to you about forgiving somebody to bring it before him again. Thank you. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks for, for being willing to share that as well. 
I think that's the thing. It's not in our own strength. It's absolutely not in our own strength. If we're, if we're struggling, you know, seek the strength of the Holy Spirit. Very, very quickly, just on this last bit, or the first bit of the verse, be kind and compassionate to one another. The reason I thought I wanted to work through this backwards was actually um, so many issues in life can never happen if we're kind and compassionate to one another in the first place. You know, a lot of the um, conflicts that I've ever been involved with in church life, they've not been about doctrine, they've not been about massive things about teaching, they've been about little things that have then grown legs and they've sort of spiralled and then they've grown a web and they've become complicated and then difficult to untangle. And if we just start out by being kind and compassionate, how much of that stuff would we never end up in the place of having to forgive each other? And that, that is true in all sorts of parts of life as well, isn't it? You know, if we're just kind and compassionate as Jesus is with us, then actually we then don't need to step into those places of forgiveness. So kind of encourage us, you know, just in our general way of being. This does the rounds on Facebook from time to time. But in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Because that's what Jesus is with us. So just to put the verse back into order, be kind. Avoid the situations wherever possible. Love as Jesus loved. Forgive. When there are things that go wrong, and absolutely in life things will always go wrong because we're human, we're broken, we're fallen, until Jesus returns and comes in glory, that will be the case. Then we follow his example, the example of the cross, and we become conduits for forgiveness. And then thirdly, as Christ did, we follow the example of Jesus who died for us to set us free. Now, I don't know where that leads you today. These were sort of three things that I was sort of mulling over. The first one is just to be thankful. Thankful that I'm a forgiven child of God. Thankful that actually through all that Jesus has done, I've received that forgiveness. It may be today that actually you need to seek forgiveness from somebody else, that we, we respond this morning in repentance. Or it might be that actually we need to offer forgiveness to somebody whether that's just starting the process, whether that's actually saying, Lord, help me to want to start that process, whatever that is. But let's just spend a moment. If we could just ask the, the worship team to come up, we'll, we'll spend a few moments in response. Um, and as we do that, it may be just allow the Holy Spirit to, to search the depths of your heart and to say, actually, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? What is it that you want me to respond to this morning? So let's just pray. forgiven so that we can forgive. Lord, we are thankful for the truth that we are your forgiven people, that at the cross you took it all. All the stuff that we would have done wrong, all the things that have, have caused sin in our lives to run riot, Lord, you've taken it all. And we just thank you for that forgiveness that means that we can walk free. And Lord, if we need to forgive ourselves this morning, if we need to forgive other people this morning, if we need to come to you in repentance, Lord, just soften our hearts. Enable us to hear the, the guiding, the nudging of your Holy Spirit today. And just as we spend the next few minutes just in reflection, in, in response, Holy Spirit, continue to do a work in us, we pray. We ask it for Jesus' sake.